This is the California Liberty Project Podcast. Welcome back to the California Liberty Project Podcast. I really appreciate all of you joining us once again on Apple, on Spotify, on all the podcast platforms. And today we're kind of continuing our little, I guess it's becoming an informal election series that we're doing here. Um, And today, actually, we're recording this on Iowa Caucus Day, uh, for those of you following national politics. But here in California, we've got enough going on um, from the governor's office, which we have to watch like a hawk, from our legislature, and then, of course, from some of our really important congressional races. We have over 50 of them. But of course, one of the notorious ones that's come to even national attention has been uh, Kevin McCarthy's kind of unceremonial departure, leaving voters in a lurch, I would argue. Um, And now it's triggered a special election. And we've got several candidates, mostly Republicans here in the Central Valley, basically from Bakersfield on up to to Clovis with uh, essentially Visalia there in the middle. So it's kind of a three prong, very conservative district. Um, you know, there's gerrymandering in California. And what they wanted to do, obviously, was dump all of the most conservative Central Valley voters into one mega Republican district. So that way they could play games with 22. 22's kind of a uh, district 22, that is. That's kind of a, a purplish district that Democrats have a chance of winning. Uh, that's a separate topic. But right now, I want to thank Sheriff Mike Boudreau, a busy man. Thank you very much, uh, Sheriff Boudreau. And may I call you Mike for the interview? Of course. Yes, of course. Okay, great. Thanks very much for joining us. And why don't you take a minute or two and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and why you're interested in representing Congressional District 20 in Washington? Sure, of course. Well, I'm the elected sheriff of Tulare County. My county sits right in the middle of Congressional District 20, which um, you know, puts me, um, I have family who live in all parts of district 20. Um, I'm in the middle, but I have many family members in the Bakersfield to Hatchapi area, which is the Southern part of the district. And then I have family members in Visaya, Hanford, and as well as Clovis. And so we're, I'm all over the central Valley with this district, but I was elected to sheriff about 11 years ago. I've been with the sheriff's office for 37 years. And in the course of the last 11 years, I have been dealing with California legislatures, uh, with the Assembly as well as the Senate, fighting legislation, pushing back against certain legislation that impacts law enforcement up and down the state. I'm also the California State Sheriff's Association elected president, meaning I represent all the sheriffs in the state of California when it comes to federal issues, legislation issues uh, federally, as well as state and local issues. And I pretty much speak with the governor's office on a regular basis. Um, and I also work with the attorney general's office. So I'm not um, new to politics. Uh, I am pretty much well versed in, in in what it takes to be in the political realm. But most importantly, the reason that I'm running for this district is I really believe that the law and order candidate needs to step up and start pushing back against what's happening, not only in the Central Valley in California, but what's happening all across our country And I would argue that I am the leading law and order candidate, meaning that for 37 years, I've been in the trenches working hard, not only politically, but also as the deputy in my younger days who has 
seen the impacts of poor legislation. And I think Californians, as well as those within our district and across our country, have about had it with lawlessness and the corruptness that takes place, uh, not only in our federal government, but the criminal element that is flowing across our borders. And I'm sure that we'll touch on that. But I do believe uh, my heart is telling me to run for this office because we need law and order back in this country. Very good, very good, and we know you're a busy man. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna jump right into some of these issues here. I know you have a heart out, and I do appreciate your time here today. Um, so right off the bat, let me ask: We have you touched on this. A lot of other candidates um, mm-hmm. running in this race. What is it that really specifically? What issues is it in Congressional District 20? What are those issues that are key to you? And how are you maybe the best candidate to address those issues in Washington at the federal level? Well, I have more than three categories. I have multiple categories, but one of the most important for the Central Valley, as well as our country, is our border. I believe in border security, and we'll talk about that. I also believe that we need to have the strongest, most powerful military in the world, which we do, but we need to continually fund that and support our veterans and our military. But we have to do so by being able to be self-sustainable in our country, meaning we need to produce our own oil. In Kern County, part of the District 20, we produce 70% of California's oil and gas. We cannot even consider remotely not having oil and an industry that supports oil to be self-sustaining in this country, to have a strong military, to have a strong backbone economically, and also to support small businesses up and down the Central Valley when it comes to oil. And so thirdly, I would say that my argument would be is that water is a huge issue. We all talk about water and what that means. I have a a plan, a solution plan that I think would be somewhat feasible in different categories. We can't just categorize water into one, meaning a dam. We need to have viable options within that. And I believe that I have several options. So if we want to talk about those three, I'm happy to discuss whichever one you want to pick first. Sure. Let's jump right in with illegal immigration. I've heard from certain quarters, you know, these people, and I'm not giving it any credence necessarily. I want to hear it directly from you. Some folks were saying that maybe you were softer on illegal immigration. I've heard that. I don't know that there's any um, uh, validity to that at all. Let me ask you directly uh, from you, Sheriff Boudreau, what is your stance on illegal immigration? Obviously, it's a big issue here in the interior of, of California, all parts of California. What should we do at at the state level and certainly at the federal level about the invasion at our border? So I'm the only candidate that was invited by President Trump to visit the border. I went down to the border at the request of President Trump and shook hands with him. And um, we talked about the issues facing our border. I believe in a long wall. I believe in a high wall. I believe that we need to secure and close our border. I believe that we need to have biometrics in place by taking either DNA or photographs or eye retina scans and or fingerprints of any and everyone who's coming into our country legally through the ports. I believe in a secure border. And the reason for that is, is that the people who are coming into our country truly are people who want to hurt and kill us. I believe that our security is in jeopardy. Now, where I think my opponent Uh, had mentioned that I am soft on immigration is not true. You have to remember that I am a California sheriff. If you're familiar with Senate Bill 54, Senate Bill 54 was a law put in place by the California legislature, which 
quite frankly, if you can go on and Google how I fought back, pushed back, and argued, and went to my county board of supervisors asking that we not recognize SB 54, but it's a state law. And that state law says that I, as law enforcement, cannot enforce immigration. I cannot even ask you, as a police officer, if you are here legally. Back in the day, we used to be able to ask for a green card to see if you come across the border legally. SB 54 does not allow me to do that. So what does that mean? We have conflicting federal and state law. So I, as the sheriff, I have to enforce the law, correct? I have to make sure that whoever is a victim, that I have to look out for that victim. So my argument was, secure and close the border. Don't let anybody else in here. But we do have to start documenting who, in fact, is here. We have people living in the shadows. We have people who are here who want to hurt us, kill us, and cause us great harm. Now, does that mean everybody wants to do that? No. But what I argue is, is we need to begin documenting who's here, vetting who's here. Now, the overall plan is, is that I was trying to make it as simple as possible by saying, give them a simple sheet of paper and let's begin documenting and vetting people. But let's begin a legal process with more judges, more Border Patrol, more Homeland Security, so that we can take that document and determine if you are a criminal determine how you come across the border. And if we need to start the process, but you have to go through a court setting. I'm not saying that you just get to stay. I'm saying we need to identify who's here and begin the process because those who are living in the shadows are the ones who are most dangerous to us all. And that's the point I was trying to make. The other point that someone sends to touch on as I made the statement years ago, I do not believe local law enforcement should be enforcing immigration. And do you know why I said that? It's because the federal government has failed us. Joe Biden has failed us. The current administration has failed us. We do not have the resources to go around rounding up illegal immigrants. Now, is that saying that if we don't have a solution in place that we can begin a process? We do. You can't just say, get out. Who's going to drive the bus? Who's going to load them up? Where are you going to take them? I mean, it sounds good to say get out, but you've got to have a process. And so my point being is that I want to shut the borders down. I want more judges to be able to uh, ha listen to the cases, but I also want infrastructure to build a courthouse right on the border, a big one, a detention facility where they go right to that judge. And when that case is heard and they're not going through the legal process, they go right back across the border. But we do have people that are here. How are we going to begin to identify them? That's where local law enforcement comes in place. If we get a 911 call for service or any other type of call for service and we go to a house, give us the ability to identify who's here, document who's here, run it through the legal process, get it to those additional judges, and begin vetting who's here. Listen. We can't just say shut the border without a solution. I have a viable solution. I'm not about just giving people amnesty. That's not what I'm about. But what I do have is a viable, reasonable solution to begin the process. So I think one of the big things as well is this uh, this phony or sham asylum thing. You know, it's like, we want asylum, but you're sneaking in between mm -hmm. ports of entry. Mm -hmm. You know, we want asylum, but you've crossed three borders, international borders, yeah. right? Would you support going back to the remain in Mexico policy, which I think makes sense according to so-called international law, right? It's if you're coming from Honduras or El Salvador, wherever it is, it's like, 
well, you can apply for asylum in Mexico or in the first country, you know, outside of your own that you touch, right? So should we get back to a remain in Mexico policy? No, I absolutely agree with that. Look, I went down to the border. Look, as the sheriff of my county and as the president of the California State Sheriff's Association, I go visit the border. I meet with Homeland Security directors. I meet with the Border Patrol. I meet with those who are on the front lines. I met with a helicopter pilot the other day. He was saying that he just could not believe the magnitude of people that were coming across the border. And this was through our Homeland Security. The issue is, in Mexico, what I would argue is we need to work directly with the Mexico government. Having them work on their side of the fence and us on our side of the fence, I would say put an infrastructure jail detention facility on our side and a jail on their side. Because, listen, Mexico Mexico is not our enemy. Mexico is not sending missiles into our homeland. But we do have people from Yemen. We have people who are from Iran. We have people sneaking across that border who are our enemies. Those need to be identified right away. Now, do we want the cartels here? No, we don't. Human trafficking, gun running, drug running. Look, those criminals need to be stopped. But we can work with the government to make that happen. And there's ways to do that, to enforce that. But if they're coming across Mexico, that's where they need to claim their asylum, not here in the United States. And I would say they go right back across. But we listen, when I say more judges... I'm not five more judges. I'm saying 50 more judges at the border. It's not that expensive to pay a federal judge to have a a place where they can start processing people. But you don't just get to come across and claim asylum. There's a legal process that I believe in. I'm a law and order candidate. I believe the legal process needs to take place. But right now, judges and our border patrol, our homeland security, They are completely overwhelmed. You've seen the videos on TV. All of us see it. The Biden administration has failed us. He needs to be impeached. He needs to be removed. We need a brand new president, someone who's going to take charge of this country and make sure that America is safe. I will tell you, we are not safe. I get the intelligence reports. There's no other candidate that has read the intelligence reports. They don't know. I know. I know what we have to do. And what we have to do is make sure that we secure that border. The asylum should not be recognized. We need to remove people who are here who came across illegally, but there's got to be a solutional process. There's got to be a process. And when I say people are hiding in the shadows, we have criminals, terrorists. We have criminal elements. We have drug runners, gun runners. Do you know that I talked to a cartel member, gang member? He says it's easy to bring guns into California. He says to to make guns illegal in California makes his profit margin even higher because there will be those buying those guns. He's making money. They're making money and they're bringing they're bringing military style weapons into this country that gang members are using. Look, we don't want that. That border needs to be secure, needs to be tall, needs to be long, and there needs to be strict penalties. I would say that if you're caught human trafficking people across the border, your first time sentence is five to 10 years federal prison. If you get caught a second time, 10, 25 years. When you're deported, there needs to be a an accountable a process to where, you know what, there is great risk in me trying to come back into that country. If you come back in a second time after being deported once, that's a 10-year sentence, I believe. 
Yeah, certainly some some drastic measures have to be done to protect American lives, liberty, and property around the border yeah. and then throughout our state and other states too, like Arizona and Texas. Let me let me switch gears just a little bit because um, we just have you for uh, yeah. for a little bit more. Currently in Washington, and the way I would frame this is sure. uh, in D.C., the swamp. There are a lot in the so-called uniparty, um, Republicans and Democrats, who end up agreeing on most things. I, I think leadership, frankly, Republicans, have been practically spineless. I think they've been terrified of being labeled government shutdowners. And so I think Republicans have accepted some awful, mm-hmm. awful deals. I can't tell the difference between our current budget now and say a so-called Obama overspending budget or even a Biden budget from a few years ago uh, or when the last time Democrats, you know, uh, when Pelosi ran the House of Representatives. There's not much difference. There's not much difference. So first of all, broadly speaking, uh, we don't have time to get into nuts and bolts and details, but what do you think of the $1.66 trillion deficit spending deal and the complete abdication that Republicans are guilty of, in my opinion, in terms of just abandoning fiscal responsibility. Every year, it's the same thing with this budget. What are your thoughts broadly on the on the budget? Well, well, first off, it's destructive to our country. Our economy is out of control because of overspending. We all know that. So let me ask you, what really is the issue with a government shutdown? What, what are the drawbacks? Right? Yeah. We shut down what happens. Well, I mean, our military doesn't get paid. I mean, the, I mean, here's the issue. Sometimes you're going to have to say, no, enough's enough. Now, the argument becomes, and it becomes political in the media, is that, hey, our military is not getting paid. Well, then I would argue that there we, we pay our military, but everything else shuts down. Send everyone else home until we come up with something that shows that we're making efforts to cut that budget, to reduce that. Look, you got to go through hard times to make progress. Change sometimes is not easy. And I'm not a big fan of just signing off on another budget to be moving forward because really the American dollar is the stronghold of the world. You have to have the American dollar in a solid place. With more spending, the way that we're continuing going into debt, look, it reminds me of of a whirlpool of disaster. Because you can fix it for just a moment, but it's like a dam with a big leak. You put bubble gum in it, but it's gonna continue leaking at some point you're going to have to say stop. And if it's a government shutdown, then that may be the hard process we go through until we get to something that's reasonable, that makes sense, that we can begin impacting our deficit, that we can begin impacting in a positive way. I'm all for a government shutdown if we have to in order to reach something to keep us from spending the amounts that we're spending. It's absolutely ridiculous. The average person, I would argue, would agree to that. Yeah, as a means to an end, right? It's just amazing that it seems like in Washington, no matter what Correct. happens, a government shutdown is always blamed on Republicans. Then they run around with their hair on fire, you know, screaming like, oh, no, they're right. It is our fault. No matter what, yep. when the Democrats were in charge, when the Republicans are in charge, it's always a Republican shutdown. Mm-hmm. Well, what I would love to do is I'd love to see the Freedom Caucus and other conservatives in Congress actually take advantage of this narrow majority and say, no, no, no. We're going to give you a very pared down federal budget. We're going to pass it. Speaker Johnson, you're going to have to get that spine strengthened. Steal your spine, Speaker Johnson. Get on your knees and you know you pray and you find the strength. Yep. And then you send that bare bones budget over to the Democrats in the Senate. And if they don't like it, and if they won't pass it, and if Biden won't sign it, well, then guess what? It is a Democrat shutdown. 
I don't know why this is so complicated for the Republicans in the House. It's a Democrat yes. shutdown. Why is that hard, Mike? It's not complicated. It's not complicated. And I would say this. I, I'll tell you what. I would ask, if I go into Congress, I would ask every Republican, every Democrat to forfeit their wages. You don't get paid until we come up with a certain percentage of agreed reduction in our deficit. And until that happens, we don't take a paycheck. Yeah. We don't take a paycheck until America gets their sure. paycheck. And I, I would go in and say, I am willing to not receive my paycheck. Don't pay me until we impact at a three, five, seven percent reduction over the course of time. Right. Five, ten years, whatever that looks like. I haven't got all the numbers in my head. But the idea would be, hey, look, if we're really looking out for America and we're really looking out for what we can do to impact our debt, to increase the value of our dollar, to increase the economy in this country by getting people back to work, take my paycheck. And every one of you have been elected in office. We don't get paid until that percentage is agreed sure. upon. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. Uh, put some pressure on these people in, in Washington, D.C. Um, agreed. One, one more. Uh, well, and that's yeah. one of my plans. I'm going to go say that. Okay, very good. No, I'm going to go. You'll be say, unpopular. I'm going to talk about You'll be unpopular hey, in the party. Paycheck, guys. Yeah, no, I, I I love it. I will. But I, I, I will. feel like so many folks have good intentions going to Congress. We've seen it time and time again. And then at the end of the day, when they get to Washington, you know, even, even Speaker Johnson, I know a lot of people had high hopes for him. He seems like a very fine man, a Christian man, a good per, a family man. Great. That's all fine and good. Wonderful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah. that doesn't necessarily always translate into spine of steel. Once you get to Washington, it's like the uniparty starts chipping away and you become a crumpled heap. Not you necessarily, but any anyone that goes into the uniparty zone, unless you're like a Chip Roy or a Thomas Massey or some, then you get labeled an extremist. But uh, right. that's the, I guess that's the price. Well, here's what I argue. This, this, this is what I think, because there is a tremendous amount of pressure in Washington, D.C. I don't have any pipe dreams about going in there and making it euphoria. It's going to be an argument, but I have some good points to make, and I've also been bullied. I can stand up to people. You're not going to intimidate me. I have a 37-year career of dealing with some of the most dangerous people the world has to offer. But what I believe, to get rid of that and to help encourage it, there should be term limits. Sure. Who would be the most brave except someone who's getting ready to leave office? Right. Right. I will stand up because I, this is my last term. And because it's my last term, I'm going to do everything that I wanted to do. Right. Right. But if you're valued on getting reelected again, right, you want to be there for the next 10, 15, 20 years, like a, a Pelosi or a Schimpf or whoever it is, you're going to you're going to pal down. Yeah. Right. And for those those Republicans who are looking to get related, how much more power would you have if you knew you only had three terms, six right. terms? And in your fifth and sixth term, you were going out there fighting for America because, you know, this is my last shot to make it happen. And it keeps you from getting involved in the whole atmosphere of corruption, the deals that will be made and et cetera. But if you have a term limit. How much more power do you have with term limits when you go in, this is my last term, or this is my second to last term, and we're going to fight? 
I agree. I, I think it's a. Because you don't have no worries of being reelected. It's a great idea, um, and it takes away that whole like ladder climbing aspect of things, the seniority aspect, where it's like I want to get in good with leadership, so I get right. a good committee chairmanship, mm-hmm. or so then I get in, you know, as maybe a whip or a deputy whip or maybe majority leader one day, you know, or speaker right. in twelve years or whatever. Right. We've seen that a lot in this district, mm-hmm. uh, not to mention names like McCarthy. Um, really quickly, so. Just a couple minutes, <laughs> couple minutes on foreign policy. Um, sure. Ukraine has turned into a sure. boondoggle. I, I don't like Vladimir Putin. You know, I tend to be against mm-hmm. most governments. Um, I certainly don't mm-hmm. like Zelensky. He's cracked down on Christians there. Uh, he's cracked down on the media. He runs like a dictator. Right. Uh, not that dissimilar from Putin. Um, so what should be done about this uh, just orgiastic dump truck of money that for some bizarre reason we're expected every month or two Congress has to write another 10, 20 billion dollar check or give them a bunch of arms. What should, with all that editorializing of mine aside, uh, what should be done about this endless spigot of cash sent to um, a little tin pot dictator there in Kiev, Ukraine? Well, I won't, I won't vote for one more dollar to Ukraine until we begin to deal with our homeless issue in the country, our mental health crisis is taking over, our veterans who don't receive adequate medical care, and our border is secure. Why are we not spending billions of dollars on our security of our border? Why are we not spending billions of dollars on our military who need care? Why are we not coming up with plans of those who are Americans who live here, who are living on the streets of America? Why are we not spending millions of dollars on reforming our mental health care in the United States. I spoke to a woman just yesterday. I was up in Clovis at one of their uh, Lions events, and a woman came up to me, and she goes, Sheriff, I hope you get elected. And I said, well, I appreciate that, young lady. Thank you so much. And and we were talking about some of my top issues. My top issues is veterans. And I truly believe that veterans should be able to go to whichever doctor they want to. You go to whichever doctor you want. You're a veteran. You provide a card. You're a veteran. You get to go to whatever doctor you want. Do you know that this man served in the military, has had over 18 different surgeries, and barely can get in to be seen by a doctor, still needing more surgeries, and it's such a burden on the family. She started crying a little bit. We we prayed with each other. Look, when you hear those stories, how do we send another dime to Ukraine when we've got veterans living homeless on the street? I don't want us to talk about spending any more money in Ukraine until we take care of the people living in America. Now, I get it. In the first part of it, we got very emotional because Russia is attacking and killing and there's bad things happening. But all of us have that common sense. We talked about it the other night, if you remember. We all have that common sense that says, wait a minute, something's just not right. And then I heard a story, I guess it was propaganda, and that's kind of my fault. I listened to the media. But, you know, that Zelensky had bought some yachts, and now it's kind of propaganda, and it may not be true. But the reality of it is, is that, I mean, so they say, I don't know if it's true or not, but, but it sure seems odd with all the money going over there, the shenanigans that seem to be taking place. Until we have an accountable record as to what's happening, how it's being spent, the billions of dollars going to a country when we're not spending nearly anything here for our own people, I won't vote for that. I want to vote for America. I want to vote for my district. I was in Bakersfield just yesterday, and I could see the homeless walking the street, and I saw one man walking and another young lady walking. It was clear that they had drug-induced psychosis because of the walk and the gait. I'm familiar with all of that. Where is their care? Where would you send them? 
And that's my biggest problem. Until we take care of our own homeland, I don't believe in taking care of someone else. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We need to come up with solutions because right now we're kind of in this terrible middle ground where we're not allowed to, you know, commit people mm-hmm. to these institutions, whether it's drug rehab centers. You can't do anything involuntarily. Mm-hmm. Okay, I believe in liberty, but then we just have to live with filth, drug use, um, menacing behavior, people panhandling on the street. You don't know if they're to do you, they're there to do you harm. Are you allowed to camp in the street? People wander into traffic. The whole thing's a disaster, and we're supposedly this model for being a first world democracy. Disaster. We can do better, can't we? We can do. Listen, I have solutions. I have solutions for the homeless problem. I have solutions for the mental health crisis in California in our district. I have solutions, <clears throat> but it's going to require. It's going to require the voter. It's going to require people getting engaged. It's going to require getting certain people out of office. It's going to require holding. Sacramento accountable. It's going to require holding our federal government accountable. I'm all for bringing federal money here to help our homeless, to help our mental health, to help offset the cost of California. But we have to have a viable plan, and I've got a plan, and I believe that 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 it'll work. But I got to get people on board. I've worked with both sides of the fence all my life. I've required to do that as a sheriff. But we have to take care and give people quality of life care. You know, when you hear people say, well, it's a social issue and they get to live their free life, right? They get to live how they want to live. Listen, 90% of the people or more out there, they do not want to be living on the street. And those who do, their brains have gotten to the point that they're not able to uh, process. And that's when we need mental health care. That's when we need social services to come in and, and, and be and have quality care. Look, this is where I separate from all the other candidates. I have dealt with the mental health crisis in my jail cells, and I have dealt with the mental health crisis on the street. People forget about the incarcerated who have mental health issues and concerns. They can't even go to court to stand trial because they don't know they committed a crime, but yet they're sitting in my jail. I live the mental health crisis, but I also know how to fix it. So if you as a family member, say you had a family member right now that had a drug-induced psychosis and they're out of control, where would you send them? Most people don't know because there isn't anything. They'll say, well, send them to Health and Human Services with the county. Well, I can tell you they're overloaded already and they don't have anywhere to send them. The bed space is small. They maybe have 10 beds in my county, maybe, Um, but we're going to have to provide long-term quality care with institutions. I know that way back in the day, mental health institutions went away, but look, mental health quality care is much better today. Let's get federal funding to, to get ongoing, sustainable, quality mental health and homeless care in our country. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thank you very much for your time. I, I don't want to usher you out, but I want to honor our time commitment. I know you have a hard out uh, right now. Um, really quickly, Share with the audience um, your information, your social media and or website. Where can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more, get involved with your campaign and such? No, thank you very much. So my Instagram is the number six point gold star, the number six P-O-I-N-T G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R. I wear a six point gold star on my badge, on my shirt. And so that will take you to the actual, um, if you want to go there, that will take you to the actual um, um, Mike Boudreaux for Congress Instagram and social media page. There's a couple fake ones out there. 
make sure you don't get the fake one because <laughs> the fake ones, uh, you know, make sure you go to the real one. But if you go to Six Point Gold Star or Mike under slash Boudreaux under slash four under slash Congress is the real one. And so those are the two that I would ask that you go to. Okay. Okay. Very good. Mike Boudreaux, Republican running for the 20th Congressional District here in California. Mm-hmm. Mike, Sheriff Boudreaux, I thank you for your time. Uh, have a great day. Best of luck to you. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you again and seeing you in the near future. No, I'd love to. And if we have more time, we can talk about more core issues. Happy to come back on again. I appreciate the time. You've been a gentleman and I'm thankful. Thank you very much. Best of luck to you. Have a great day. This has been the California Liberty Project Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, share it with others, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter.